Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be the Chickasaw native, Oklahoma's favorite son, the Chickasaw Hall of Famer, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And if you have a dictionary and it's got the word legend and it doesn't have this man's picture beside it, your dictionary is worthless. He is a four-time British heavyweight champion. In his second reign, held it for nine years. Two-time world champion. And in my opinion, had the greatest rivalry in the history of wrestling certainly in europe i think in the history of wrestling against dave fit finley he has been a mentor he's meant so much to me and i'm so proud to have him on the show mr tony st Clair. tony welcome to the show thank you very much john nice to be back on air with you again and uh, with jerry that's a pleasure to meet him I've, I've never met anyone of their family although i was in japan often but just never happened so, well, Tony, Tony, uh, we were talking about this before we came on the air, man. And it's and this business too, you know, it's so strange, especially, you know, Jack traveled the world, you traveled the world, and I was fortunate enough to go to several of those different countries that, that you participated in. But our timing was just never the same, even though we're about the same uh, age and, and years there, we, we never met each other. So I'm really looking forward when John told me he finally rounded you up all the way over to the UK. I was just thrilled to death that I, you know, I had to do all kinds of research on it. Of course, I called some of our mutual friends, Robbie Brookside. He gave me some information. Last night, Mr. Regal burned up the internet talking to me and John about sending accolades about, about your career. So, you know, kind of take us back in the very beginning, uh, Tony, back, I guess your father and your brother both were, were in this great business. So your family tree just goes back, uh, back about the time of wrestling. Yeah, my, my father was was a well-known Cornish wrestler. Cornish wrestling is a bit like judo. They wear, they wear jackets, but no trousers. And it's only standing throws are allowed in a, a round circle. Uh, he started at 15. They, they used to go to, to France every year, Cornwall against France. And uh, my father at 15 won these junior, middleweight, and heavyweight all in one day. Wow. Wow. That, that's what I find so fascinating about your style of wrestling over there and your father's style. 
is a weight class is a strictly without. I mean, a guy could go up in a weight class, but very seldom did you see him come down. But I think you you kind of ventured all around in three or four weight classes and won and won every damn division. But so your dad dad was one of those Cornish wrestlers, kind of like a oh old style shooter type guy, then right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. He then he let them move north to England and uh, turned into a professional wrestler, <laughs> boxer, and rugby player as well. Yeah. And uh, he, he's got capped for England uh, rugby league, not John's sport, but <laughs> the game that they play mostly in England right. is rugby league. Uh, he got capped for rugby, rugby, rugby league in England. And he also played for Cornwall uh, as amateur, but he didn't make national team as an amateur. Yeah. Tony, well, I saw well, on the internet that they called him the champion that doesn't smile. And I don't well, know if that's, that's right. a, you know, you never know about the internet. It was, you know, stuff is true or not. It was, no, it was no, no, that, that's right. He was, he, he, he was a, he was a, he could be a, a sour person <laughs> it's a very serious let's just say he's a very serious person about it about his profession there and and so yeah, uh, yeah. At, at that at that time uh, it was like that you know and of, of the times that were before my time and maybe yours as well you know when when shooters rule the world Right. And did he ever tell you about any of the old guys that would challenge him? Any of those old, old uh, historic, oh, yeah. uh, old yeah, historic? Yeah. Fill, yeah. Kind of fill us in on that, if you would, Tony. Uh, he he rated in Europe the strongest wrestler that he ever met was uh, George Gordienko. Right. Uh, Billy Robinson. He fought Billy at the Royal Albert Hall, uh, just when my father was retiring, Billy was in his prime. Something happened in the ring that didn't get Billy's approval, so he started to shoot. And my, my father held him, couldn't, Billy couldn't beat him. What was the size of your father, Tony? He, he was... Uh, uh, 108 kilos, 110 kilos, 220 pounds, 230 pounds. He, he was small for a heavyweight. Yeah. So and belly, belly probably added about two or three kilos at that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so uh, so he, he, he resisted uh, Billy and 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 and, uh, and didn't Billy didn't get the results he thought he was going to get right. He, he didn't resent him, but he fought against him, right. and uh, Billy couldn't win. And my father couldn't win. They they went went through the match without a winner. And after the match, Billy came came to him in his dressing room and said, "I couldn't beat you, Frank." He said, "Will you teach me?" Cornish wrestling, so I can. My father said, "No, that's the only time I've got against you at, at my age." So and that's, I was, a, that's a wise man. You never, you never teach your opponent everything you know, right? No, no. 
But like I say, my, my father was at the, the ear of Bert Azarassi. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bert Azarassi. He's a monster. And he loves to beat people up. <laughs> especially, especially people that fought against him. Um, was, was, was there TV? Was there TV uh, matches during that time, or was there all live uh, live shows? No, that that, that Bert was nineteen fifties at the latest. Uh, but there's, there's lots of information uh, about him on the internet. Right. Anyhow, after, after one night appearance, when uh, when he hit my father while they were in the middle of the ring, listening to the referee's instructions. And he just <laughs> hit him in the face. So it went off again. When they got back into the dressing room, my father said to him, Bert, what was all that about? He said, I just wanted to see if you still have the balls that you always had. He said, because not many people fight back when I'm against him. That annoys me. <laughs> but that, Tony, that was how it was, you know. Tony, your dad was uh, in the first uh, ever televised match I read uh, in uh, in England, right? 1955. Yes, he was. He was also wow. the first man uh, that uh, Billy Two Rivers, when he came right. over to England, was an instant success. Uh, he just died, I think, last week. Uh, he worked in Europe as well a lot of the time as well. And my father was the first one to wrestle him on television as well. Yeah. And was your father at, at the time, I mean, describe the wrestling scene. I mean, in wrestling, you know, I remember talking to Mick McMichael one time, uh, you know, our, our friend, the referee, and, you know, such a great referee and such a great character in wrestling all over Europe. He told me that one time there was 20 something shows in London alone. Was it always, yes. was it always that hot in England? Like when you're during your father's time or did it get hot a little bit later? No, it got hot. Uh, the late fifties, beginning of the sixties was really the time between 60 and 70s was incredible. The amount of shows that were in England, there was, you know, England is a small country and there were maybe in one month, 200 wrestling shows wow. in one month. Wow. Was this so, all, all off the of TV, Tony? Was this when the advent of TV getting no, it, hot? It, it, it was, that's why TV got in, After we because they, they saw how popular it was. So uh, wrestling in the UK was basically the, the same vehicle that it was over here in the United States. It spurred the growth of TV. Uh, John 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 has an old quote saying by one of the old comedians, right? Right uh, about TV and wrestling, or TV. And yeah, they said uh, Gorgeous George sold more TV sets than Milton Berle, yeah. you know, because. <laughs> They called them Georgie sets. True, true. They called them Georgie sets because you know wrestling, as you know, Tony, is one of those things that you can film. You know, unlike a big, uh, you know, uh, soccer, football game, or any yeah. other type of sport, because you only need a hard camera and a couple others, and everything kind of yeah. stays in one area, so you can film it like a late night talk show. So in the states, yeah, yeah. television was yeah. dominated by late night talk shows and wrestling, and uh, it's it sounds like it was the same same in England. 
it, it wasn't in England in those days when it first started television, they had appro approximately eight or nine million viewers on wow. national television. Wow. They, they can't get eight or nine thousand on one channel now. There's so many channels. Um, it, but the, 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 the fault that British promoters made, they charged money to sell it to the TV company. Wow. And they, they, they paid good money. See, that was just the opposite. Here are the promotions. Here are the safe pay, pay the TV channels to get on get on TV. So the, yeah. the, the, the promoters over there had it the right way. You pay me to air my show on, on your TV set. But, but then along came WWF yeah. and started paying for their shows to go on television. Okay. So, so that in England killed British wrestling. Yeah. Now, now back back when when all those multiple shows were, were did, did each promotion have an individual star, or did they kind of use the same type of talent, or how did how did that work? Well, the, the, originally they had joint promotions which had the television, and then you had independent two or three in, independent promotions. But joint promotions was, I think, six different promoters that joined together to make a company, and they divided England to where their their office was. So one would control Yorkshire and Scotland. The biggest one was Dale and Martins. They controlled the whole of the south of England. And the northern promoter was called Wrighton Promotions. But all in all, it was six promotions, all formed joint promotions. Right. Did, did your father at any time own any of those promotions or? or... No, 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 no. He, he was just a wrestler right. and, and a rugby player. He, he was their champion. He was their champion. So he didn't need to own Yes. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who were some of his competitions? Kind of refreshes the old name that, that your father competed against. Well, the, the, all the, the wrestlers from Wigan, uh, which was famous for shoot right. yeah. wrestling, sti still is. Uh, the, is it still today, Tony? Is it still Wigan? Still oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's still owned by the, the Woods family. Wow, how many Roy, years? Roy, Roy Wood was in Japan more often than I was, but not to take part in the tournaments. He was training their wrestlers, amateur wrestling, shooting. And he went off more often than I did. I just found out of his daughter a couple of months ago. And uh, so Wigan was a hell of a a big business. My father was helped to train Carol Istas, Carl Gotch, and uh, wow. who then got who then got me into Japan. As thank you to my father, I was so lucky there because I I cracked it in Japan then, and uh, I had a, a 
I don't know, 20 years, I traveled to Japan and uh, made a lot of money. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but had a, a great, great time. At one time, before I married my final wife, Christiane, um, I was intending going to Japan after I retired to be a trainer. Uh, they, they wanted me to, to look after the boys that had already started wrestling. I, I was not a good wrestling trainer like Fit or Dave Taylor, but I was one that could get professional wrestlers and improve what they were doing in the ring as a professional. Whereas Taylor and Finley just beat the shit out of everybody. <laughs> they, they, um, they, have, they have not changed, Tony. <laughs> oh, no. I, 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 remember, I remember one idiot jumped in the ring when I was on against Finley, and he jumped under the bottom rope and went into karate position. <laughs> and I look at, looked at Dave, and Dave looked at me, and I just went, oh, no. <laughs> I'll get out the ring, Dave. Well, he beat he beat the fella to pull, but in, in a nice, gentle way. Tony, I'll tell you a story. Yeah. I, I've, I've told many people this. I don't know if I've ever told you our 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 fit. Uh, when when I first came to Europe, uh, after Larry Cameron passed away, all they got a whole new American crew, and that gave, that got me a job in Europe. Jimmy Suzuki helped get me a job there with with Auto, and we started in Graz, but Auto wanted to kind of see what he had, so we went to Zeeboden for a few days just to kind of see. I think it was kind of to see what we had, and you and Finley were on the first night. And I, and I just sat there and watched it. And I thought, I don't belong anywhere near Europe. It was, it was the, to this day, it was the most awe-inspiring match I've ever seen. And I, and I knew when you got done that you guys were just kind of putting on that show to show the new American boys, this is how we do it over here. But it had the effect on me of, I need to go home. Because <laughs> I can't do that. It yeah, was amazing. You and Fit were just absolutely magical together yeah unfortunately i was in the ring with larry when he passed away and uh, I'll, I'll never forget the night that he passed away i i was distraught i went when they got got him out the ring with the ambulance crew took him backstage and i went back to, to see how he was and he was already dead and uh, I, I spent the night driving around Bremen, just driving and driving and driving. And uh, the next day I was billed against Finley in a championship match. And Otto said to me the, the morning when I finally got the courage to get into my bed in the caravan, Otto called me into his office and said, did I want to cancel the match against Finley that night with Larry just dying? And I said, no, Otto. I said, Larry wouldn't want that. I don't want it. The show must go on. And it was hard. And Finley and I wrestled 12, three-minute round draw. Uh, but it did the word of good for me 
to get it out of my system. And uh, but that's how it was, you know. Sure. And Larry passed away um, in between rounds, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually hit him with a, a clothesline, and he he went down, but very strangely. And I went back to the, the corner, and then I I suddenly look, looked around, and the referee was down, trying to uh, wake him, and I knew he was dead then. And I I signaled that they they come with a stretcher because they, they weren't on top of the ball with medical care in, in autos or German promoters that they had two Red Cross ambulance men who, who didn't know a thing what to do. Uh, and by the time an ambulance came, he was cold. And, uh, that's yeah. a shame. That's a shame. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you recognize Luther Lindsay. I was in Charlotte the night that Luther Lindsay died in the match. One of the most devastating nights that I've ever seen, too. And uh, yeah, and uh, and you remember Luther Lindsay? He was a great uh, Afro-American, yeah. uh, Afro-American yeah. uh, uh, wrestler here yeah. in the states. Yeah. But yeah, yeah those, those tragedies like that are terrible, but. Tell us a little bit, you know, your, your father, of course, we, we got a story on it. Then your brother came along, and did he wrestle the same style and, as, as your dad? Roy, Roy was a better wrestler than I was, um, definitely. He was the best of the Gregory family as a professional goes. But he didn't have the, the will to go, get up and take it. He was happy going to the shows every night, going after the show, drinking a pint of beer. Didn't care who he was going on with, whether he won or lost. Uh, he appeared 12 times in one year on the national wrestling in Great Britain, 12 time television matches in one year. That was phenomenal. Most wrestlers were happy. Most wrestlers were happy to get two or three television shows a year. Roy got 12. I always say he was the better wrestler, but he didn't have the will to go and do what I did. He didn't have the, the will to say to promoters, no, that's not enough. I want more money. Uh, Roy was just happy to be in the business. You know, you know that 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 uh, deal here in the states too. Uh, it, it takes so much to be a professional wrestler, not only in the ring, but you got to have that will backstage to stand up yes. and watch right and everything. Everything everybody's ever told me about you, you had that will, and and that that probably what separated you from from the pack back in those days too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I. I went with my wife to South Africa to supposedly my first wife. She was a cabaret singer or in nightclubs and things like that. And she had a good offer in South Africa. So I contacted the South African promoter and I got over there as well. And we thought about living there 
uh, at one time. But after a year, television first came out in South Africa at the end of our first year. And the next year, the bookings for wrestling and entertainment had dropped a million percent. So uh, we decided to come home. And I, I went home and I phoned up Joint Promotions, who I'd originally wrestled for, and said, uh, I've, I've come back. I'm interested in wrestling for you again, but I want to come to your meetings and discuss what's going to happen with me, what you've got planned for me. Otherwise, I'm just going to get an ordinary job and not continue wrestling. So they invited me to the, the sixth promotion when they had the, the monthly meeting, I went and uh, they, they asked me what I wanted. I said, I don't want to just come and do what I did before, just being a man on the card. So either you're going to push me or I'm going to quit. It's your decision. I accept your decision. And Mick McManus, who was the biggest name in British wrestling at that time, stood up for me, as did Max Crabtree, who was also the biggest promoter. And uh, they said, right, what do you have in mind? So I said, well, first of all, I'd like to be a champion. And secondly, I'd like a lot more money than you've been paying me. So they said, we'll get, we'll get to the money later. Champion, what do you have in mind? So I said, light heavyweight. I was like 90 kilos, 200 pounds. And uh, one of the promoters said, no, heavyweight. So the heavyweights are like Billy, Billy Robinson, Gwyn Davis, all all uh, 230, 240 pounds. But if that's what, what you want, I'm open to everything. So that's how I became British Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> wow. Was Max Crabtree at that time, uh, for those that don't know, the brother of Shirley Crabtree, right? Big Daddy. Uh, was that's, he that's right, yeah. Wow. Max, Max, was, he, Max was, his brother was promoter. And Brian, the younger brother, was referee. So all in all, when Max took over joint promotions, it was a, a Crabtree Wrestling Week. <laughs> and with Big, Big Daddy Wrestling, Brian refereeing, and Max organizing it, they had control completely. You know, you brought you brought up a great great uh, big daddy there, and uh, you got you guys you know unlike uh, just like the U.S. You guys had had your own unique characters. You had the giant haystack, you had big daddy, and a and a lady there, Klondike Tate. I mean, who the oh, yeah. le legend over, and several other just, just big star legendary named in, in our business. And if you get a chance, you're listening over here, you don't, you don't reckon, just Google those names or look them up. You'll be fascinated as heck on, on these, these people's careers there. But uh, 
they all they all they all had that right star there in the UK a long time, but you didn't. So you were competing against guys like Big Daddy who was way up there in weight for us there. State probably were closer to three hundred pounds than two hundred pounds. Yeah, the 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 thing with with Big Daddy, but Big Daddy when he got heavier, obviously he couldn't move as much as he used to do, and they. At first, they had a, a tag team with Big Daddy, Daddy and Haystack as partners, both heels. But then, when they had no opponents, then they changed Haystacks to a heel, and Big Daddy, Big Daddy was the babyface. Unfortunately, as he got more heavier and more heavier, he couldn't do much in the ring. So I became I and many others, but most of me, became his tech partner to do the work. And he just came in to do the finish, uh, which was okay. I made, I made good improvements and I made a lot, lot of money. And uh, yeah, I, I was happy for the crab trees. They, they, they put in a lot. And they made money, and then the, the job went bad. Nothing you can do it. When when did the job go bad, Tony? I I think I think beginning of uh, the eighties, when when John Quinn, who who was the biggest draw ever in England, bigger than Daddy, bigger than Haystacks, John Quinn put asses on seats against. Daddy, and they they ran a, a big big show in Wembley, not the football arena, but the, the stadium next to it held about eleven twelve thousand people. Daddy and Hayster and uh, John Quinn, they sold it out twice, and on the second, no, on the on the first, John lost the belt and then won it back. Didn't get paid what he wanted, so he, he left joint promotions to go to the independents, which I heard immediately. So I called the independents up the day afterwards and said, uh, I believe you've got John Quinn. Yes, I said, I'm offering myself as an opponent for him. How much you want? I told them, oh no, God, that's too expensive. We've got Dave Taylor, we've got Steve Riedel, I said, both excellent wrestlers. You've got even more than that, but you haven't got anybody who has got heat with Quinn already on television. Hmm. Let us call you back <laughs> an hour later. An hour later, they called me back. Okay, your offer is accepted. When are you coming? I said, out of respect for Max Crabtree, I'm going to give a month's notice. I said, but I will also tell him when I give the notice that if he puts me on TV matches with the threat of losing my heavyweight championship belt, I won't do it. 
And uh, but when I I told Max that he he's actually said I appreciate your work, your offer, and what you just said makes me really happy that I brought you up the correct way. You've put everything on the table, so we'll have you on television next week and announce that you're leaving and taking the belt is no problem, which I did. And we earned a lot of money. A lot that, of that, money. That, that, that must have been a big, big job for the business area and in, 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 in England. Oh, Just, God, the, the, wow. the independence yeah. took over. Uh, within, within two years, they took the contracts of TV, of joint promotions. Uh, Orig Williams was a, a Welsh promoter, so he got Welsh TV as well. So we, we were doing better than, than joint promotions, yeah. and we were supposedly the opposition. The opposite. What what size arenas did 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 people run back in those those days, Tony? What what sorry? What what, what size arenas? What were the capacity to some of those arenas? Oh, the uh, the, the the biggest was Wembley, uh, which held ten thousand. The second was Royal Albert Hall, which was uh, the one that everybody wants to be in, and with with prestige of being the Royal Albert right. Hall, Brian Dixon eventually got to promote there. Uh, they also, apart from John Quinnai, they also had Kendo Nagasaki, right, and and then Adrian Street came to us with his tag partner. Then Mark Rocco, Rollerball Rocco, who was phenomenous in England. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen some uh, YouTube matches with you and Rocco, and wow, I can say, wow, fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Mark, yeah. Mark was a a bundle of energy, and uh, that that destroyed joint promotions. They they tried to create a new world champion, but didn't work. Nobody uh, took took any notice of it. They acknowledged I was world champion, British champion, and the the one that Max wanted to put the the British champion on actually came over to uh, to us and did championship matches with me. Well, what I find fascinating about that is you were able to take that title there. Was the title still called the same thing? Uh, was it recognized no, by everybody in, 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 in England at that time that this is, this is the one championship, this is the legit championship? No, no, they, they, they accepted that I took the real one and that they made another one. Tony, did, did they, did they try to, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, I apologize. Did they, did they try to... Did they try to stop you? I mean, you're the undisputed no, British no, champion. No, no, Max, Max, Max Crabtree, in fairness to him, said, hands up, go and do what you want. I, I spoke to Max a couple of times after I left, 
and he was he was okay with it. He understood my position. I understood his. He was answering to the big bosses that owned the joint promotion by then, who were now is owned by a, a bet, betting company. And uh, they they lost television. They lost everything within a year. The 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 opposition promoters also had Kendo Nagasaki, who was also a great name in British wrestling. Um, we we had everybody. So, How was it working with Marty John Quinn? He was a big, big guy. Uh, oh, yeah. Dynamic. I've seen you work with big guys. I've worked with you when I was you're 300 something pounds. You worked so well, like you did with Haystacks, with Andre. How was it working with Marty John Quinn? Brilliant, brilliant. That 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 was a, a match that just clicked between us, and we wrestled when when he dropped the champion, the world championship, to me in uh, Stoke on Trent, England. We actually wrestled, I think, sixteen rounds, three wow. minutes each each round. We it was billed as 15 three-minute rounds. We actually scored one fall each, and each had one fall disallowed in the, the first 15 rounds. So it went to a first fall wins, and I won it in the 16th round, or the 17th round. I know we're in the ring a bloody long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at that time, I, I was championship matches. I was doing three or four a week. Wow. And none of them lasted less than 10 rounds. So I, I was fit, really fit. How were the rings, yeah. Tony? You know, when we were in Europe, you know, the, there were different rings in different places. You know, we had that real hard one for a while in Vienna, and the Bremen uh, was a little bit better. They fixed well, it one year, it got better. How, how were the rings uh, that you were in? Now they're good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how were they then? Yeah, but not well, back then. <laughs> when when we went to the independent promoters, they their rings were better than joint promotions because joint promotions left their rings, regular halls, they left the ring in the hall and the, the ring could be 30 or 40 years old <laughs> and was, was built not for falling on. In, in fact, in Aberdeen, we wrestled on the stage and they didn't have a ring, they just laid <laughs> mats. They laid mats and no. put... Those old phantom mats, probably, right? Uh, yeah, 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 and put turnbuckles up, yeah. posts, everything. John, John, and, you talk about mat burns. That's where the term mat burns come along. Those old phantom yeah, mats, right? That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was exciting days. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, we're moving along here. You know. Uh, uh, you had a very unique uh, a friendship with Andre the Giant when Andre was basically a, a young man, right? Andre, my my first meeting with Andre, Roy, my brother, had met him in France, 
and Andre had said he was getting booked for England the next month, and Roy invited him to stay with us. My, my parents had a pub, and we had a spare room, or room in my room was planned, but the bed was too small, so <laughs> I moved out of my bedroom, moved in with Roy, and Andre took my bedroom, but it was a small bedroom, and the bed wasn't long enough for him. So, so I put two chairs at the end of his bed for his feet. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we had a, a really special relationship, yeah. Yeah. You know, all, all the stories about Andre's uh, uh, drinking consumption, when, when, you, when you first met him back when he was fresh out of France, and was that, did he still have the same appetite at that time for, for alcohol? Well, I'll tell you a story. The first, the first time I met him was, I say, when, when my brother brought him to stay in our parent pub. And he got up the first morning after he arrived. And I was downstairs. My mother was also downstairs in the kitchen that was sealed off from the pub. So my mother said, can I make you uh, something for breakfast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. After he, he couldn't speak any English at that time. So after explaining what a bacon sandwich was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, that sounds good in, <laughs> in French. Yeah, yeah. Merci beaucoup, merci beaucoup. So my mother made him six or seven bacon sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, tea, coffee? So, no, 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 beer. Beer. Blonde, <laughs> beer, blonde beer, light beer. So I got him a pint of English beer. So not only did he have six or seven bacon sandwiches, he also had for breakfast six or seven pints of wow. beer. <laughs> this is for breakfast. This is this is for breakfast. My mother couldn't believe it. Well, she couldn't believe that he was staying there with us, first of all. And uh, when when she saw him eat, she she was amazed, amazed. Uh, but we 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 had some great times. I've still got pictures of him somewhere, sat in a back in the back of a, a open top jeep. And him with a, a flyer's helmet on, uh, riding round to different clubs in Manchester. Oh God, I could talk forever on Andre. Uh, how, how how was his athletic ability at the, in those early stages? Because Andre was was a fantastic athlete. You know, even as he got up in years, the guy could he could go he could go with any style you wanted to go with. If you wanted to go in and wrestle a little bit, the guy could do it. So those must have been his formative days of learning that style of, of, of wrestling with you guys. Yeah, he he was exceptionally good when early on, but about. I don't know, eight or 10 years before he passed away, he started growing again. And that you can see by 
Neanderthal look in his face and the curve in his back. And uh, that he couldn't cope with. And uh, his body just gave up in the end. How, how did you how how did you guys get him around from town to town? I mean, are there vehicles or was it trains that you I, took? I I had a, a very small <laughs> car. I, I think I had a Ford Escort or something, just a small, by right. English standards, a small right. car. Right. So I. I was traveling to, to a show in Southport, which is an hour from Manchester where my parents lived. And I was taking him in my mother's Fiat 850 car, which if you know the car, it's a really small, small car. So there was no chance of Andre sitting in the front. So he, he got in the back and put his legs over the, the passenger seat. <laughs> so we we travelled, we travelled, almost made it to Southport, but I I broke down the car, broke down <laughs> through through lack of oil. So I had to get a tow wagon wagon out to come and put the the car on the back of the the tow wagon and taught the driver into driving us to Southport to make the show. So he said, yeah, yeah but Andre, this, this man is no place for him in, in the, the front of the thing. So we actually loaded my car on the back of the tow wagon with Andre still sat <laughs> on the back seat with his feet, with his legs and feet over the front seat and we arrived at the show with all the, the punters waiting to get in and saw Andre arriving on the back of a tow wagon in the back of a car. That, that had to be a scene right out of, uh, right out of a comic book almost. Oh, here, here, here's this big tow truck coming in with a car on a hook. And there's this big giant with the with the feet draped across the front seat there. And there you are along with it, probably smiling. Yeah, that's Audrey. <laughs> you, you couldn't write a write a book about it, really. It's, it's just something that comes out of a book. Yeah. No, yeah, he, he, he became this huge draw worldwide, Andre the Giant. Everybody to this day knows Andre the Giant. Uh, yeah. Was was he a draw right away? Was people did people come to him right away because of his size and his athletic ability? Yes, yeah, yeah, but but he hated being being what he was. He he, he would often at wrestling shows he'd sign autographs, but if you walked up to him in the Keogh Plaza and asked him for an autograph. God beware what your answer would be. And, it it uh, all depends on how many brews you had. <laughs> and uh, I, I eventually get, I was, Sakaguchi was uh, chairman of New Japan Pro Wrestling, said to me one tour, I went in and asked him for a pay, pay rise. And he said, yeah, yeah, okay. Only if you come 
on every tour with Andrew because he wants to be with you again. And I said, well, that's great for me. Okay. But uh, so when I when I met him in, in Tokyo, I said, right, uh, we're going out to eat after the, the show. No, 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 hotel, hotel. I said, no, we're going to get the the driver of the bus to take us to a German restaurant. Oh yeah, that sounds good. You like you like the idea of that because he knew German beer and German snacks <laughs> were his. What what he ate was irrelevant. He, he wasn't really a big eater. Uh, so I took him to this German restaurant, and then uh, he had a great time. The next time I said, right, today we're going to walk. To a restaurant. No, 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 no. Yes, we are. Only 200 yards to the next hotel. I've looked, and there's an Indian restaurant, top floor. I said, I know you love Indian. Yeah, yeah, I love Indian. Right, 200 yards, you've got to walk and walk back as well. He did it. So, in my company he was open to anything I think and uh, but then again the the amount of, of beer that he, he drank and I, I was there when he drank 60 half uh, half liters of beer and I, I, I Six, was there. 60 wow <laughs> 60 <laughs> yeah, yeah I I was I was there in uh, in, in Japan, uh, in a a uh, sukiyaki restaurant, in, in uh, where's the what's the name of the top island in Japan? Hokkaido. Hokkaido. We're in Hokkaido, and this this restaurant for uh, eating the grilled meat on the uh, barbecue, and there he there he had sixty. Beers. <laughs> wow! Wow! Yeah. How, how long? How long did he stay with your parents there? I mean, that must have been a strain on the whole food budget back in those days. He stayed. He stayed for just about the the whole tour. And the first tour he was in England, which I think was three or four weeks. Uh, and uh, he he was he was such fun to be with. I remember going to to eat with him in in a uh, Indian restaurant in Manchester and my first wife was a singer and she was there as well so we went in this restaurant and my wife excused herself and went to the bathroom to wash her hands at which point Andre found her handbag took all the knives and forks off the table and, and put them in a handbag. <laughs> My wife came back and Andre called the owner of the restaurant. And said, <laughs> I just want to tell you, I've just seen this lady put the hand knives and fork in a handbag. Wow. <laughs> so the waiter says, Excuse me, madam, <laughs> can I look in your handbag? What for? The knives and forks. Only just give them back. 
knives and forks. What knives and forks? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you, you could hear it. Well, she, she went red, red, red. But that was Andre's humor. And, and Andre, for years, tried to get you to come to WWE, right? Back then, WWE. Yes, yeah, yeah. He, he had the idea, as I was, I, I wrestled him first in Scotland, in Edinburgh Stadium. And I used to get on the microphone in Scotland because of a, a favourite of theirs, and I could imitate the Scottish accent. So Angry had seen that years before. And then he came up to me in Japan and said, uh, Vince is coming tomorrow or to day after tomorrow. We're on a, a show as tag partners. I've got an idea for you to come as Roddy Piper's long distance cousin and team up with Roddy. Rolly Piper said, Andre, I don't want to go. <laughs> I, I, I'm not interested in, in Japan. I was doing three tours a year in Japan. I was doing five months of the year in Germany, living in my caravan, training all day, no traveling. I said, Andre, I understand that Vince McMahon wants if, if he wanted me to go there, he wants it to be for at least 12 months, maybe two years, three years, I don't know. I said, and I'm not prepared to go for that length, length of time. I'm happy with what I'm doing. I'm happy seeing my family. And I just don't want it. And uh, that, that same in, evening, Vince, who was there on, on the tour, to talk business with New Japan. We're talking Vince, Vince Senior, right? Vince Senior? No, Vince a, Junior. Vince Junior, okay. Vince Junior. And uh, Andre and I were in a tag. So, yeah, this is the night I'll, I'll introduce you to, to Vince after the, the match. I said, Andre, don't waste your time. So, we did the, the match. Obviously, Andre at that time was just starting to feel the wear and tear on his body. So I was in 80% of the match and Andre was 10, 10, 20%. We came out of the ring. It was middle of summer, hot as hell in Japan. Indoor stadium, I was sweating like a pig came in, sat down, and Vince Jr. came up to me, in all honesty, said to me, did you see Andre in that tag match? Well, I said, I, said, I should effing think so. I was his effing partner. <laughs> Turned away now. I walked to Andre and said, I think that's just eliminated my time at WWE, so don't ask me anymore. Yeah. 
Was the temptation well, ever there, Tony? Or, or were, you, were you just so happy that you didn't want to go to a place you'd have to be there for a year or two? Was the temptation ever there for you to go? No, no, no. I, w- I, was, I was earning good money. England, I fitted in when Germany, Austria, Japan wasn't happening. Sometimes I toured in Africa, India. I was earning good, good money. And to me, that that seemed a waste of time to leave my family to earn a little bit of money that would be taken with taxes and things like that and not being happy. And I I never had any interest in in America. Might sound big-headed, but it just didn't appeal to me, and uh, that, that's why. Well, what 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 was the attitude over there with with most of the UK guys? Was that a, was that a goal for them to, to eventually go to the US or or go to Japan or what was the you know the the, the common talent over there? What 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 was their goals? Was was they all happy like you to be in be in a, in Europe? Uh, no, because Dave Taylor and, and Riedel weren't as high up on the rotor as I was at that time. Of course, Riedel and Dave Taylor both went on. In fact, Dave Taylor was uh, booked for WCW, I think, uh, first on my recommendation because Bill Watts phoned me up and asked me if I would take part in a trial match for WCW. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm I'm flying to Japan tomorrow. And he said, oh God, Uh, anybody you can recommend? And I said, yeah, Dave Taylor is a good, good hand. And that's how Dave got in his position. He, He had to work for it. But that's how the first opportunity arose. So, uh, at I least told, I did somebody a favor. I, I told this. But, uh, but, but the, another story I've got to tell you Orig- uh, then came in Bremen Terry Funk. <laughs> and I begged, begged Otto Vance, the promoter, to change the bill. I was billed against Stan Hansen and a big English wrestler called Steve Casey was booked against Terry uh, Terry Frank. And I'd always wanted to wrestle Terry. So I I begged with the promoter to change the bill, which he did. So I, I am now in the ring awaiting Terry Funk's arrival in the ring. Well, he came into the hall on a horse. (laughs) He was excellent on horses, so he knew what he was doing. Halfway towards the ring, the horse kicked up its front legs. Terry was pulling the reins a certain way to make it do that, did it two or three times, 
Terry jumped off the horse, walked round, took the, the girdle in his hand and hit the horse on the nose <laughs> with, with, a working, with a working punch. Well, the horse went down on its knees. <laughs> really, it went down on his knees. Well, I, I couldn't stop laughing. But that, that was the one and only time I ever wrestled Terry. <laughs> so Terry oh, was we... working with the horse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is I've, great. I've, I've still got the, 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 the tape somewhere of the match because the, the uh, English, the Welsh television were there to record the match. And they wanted me to win. Obviously, I was a big, big name for them in, in Wales. So they wanted to win, me to win. Otto wanted Terry to win, obviously, and I was happy to do that. So, but we organized a funny finish that meant that the he, he put his legs on, on the middle ropes and the referees tapped him on the shoulder and said, no, 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 no. Terry got off, I raised my hands and there the, the Welsh television cut it at that. Whereas <laughs> in, in reality, when when I said the winner, Terry took a cheeky fall on me, so he won. Right. <laughs> but but on, on Welsh television, it <laughs> appeared that I had won. Hey, it's not it's not always the best. It's, it's always who has control that switcher at the TV studio. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jerry, Jerry, yeah. you guys did the same thing with the funks in Florida, right? Right, several well, the times. Funks would come in and, and yeah. Tony, when they did it, the Funks would come in to wrestle the Briscoes in Florida, the Funk brothers against really? the Briscoe brothers. Y'all would do the same thing, right, Jerry? We would do several finishes just like that. I mean, the, the, those old Texas finishes that uh, Terry had from Amarillo were, were awesome like that. You know? And you would yeah. send one tape to, to uh, Amarillo yeah. for the Funks where it looks like yeah. the Funks won. Well, and would you use the other one here in Florida where we won? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the same match. <laughs> <laughs> but at least at least I got to wrestle Terry in my career yeah. that that was the main thing that I wanted had, had you known Terry had you known Terry from Japan or where, where, where had you yes. known Terry yeah yeah, yeah yeah we, 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 we became good friends right. okay. in uh, in Japan and uh, when he came to to Germany and uh, Another thing, John, that I've got to tell you, when, when I say about not wanting to wrestle in America, Terry Funk, before we wrestled that night in, in Bremen, Terry Funk came to me from Finley and said, it looks like I've got the possibility to take over the booking for uh, not W. WF, the other company. WCW. Uh, 
he, he got the he thought he had the opportunity to, to be booker for them, and he wanted me and Finley to come. So I explained to him I'd already refused Andre's offer, and Terry said, "Let me tell you, Tony." He says, "I've been in the office." He says, "And there's a pile a yard high." of wrestlers contracts that are on hold or being paid every month, even though they're injured. He said, so if you and Finley want to come, work for three or four weeks, get injured, go home <laughs> on, on full money, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll bring you back in three or four months when you done everything at home that you want to do. So I said, <laughs> now that seems like, <laughs> that seems like a plan to me. Unfortunately, he didn't get the, the job. Uh, I think Bill Watts was there at the time or, or took it over, but uh, Terry didn't get the job. So <laughs> that spared me the, the voyage to USA. <laughs> and a name that's come up here often in our conversation is Fit Finley. Uh, take us back to the days that you first met Fit. Was he come, just coming down from Belfast, or had you gone up in that area and worked worked around where his dad was? At? I the first time I met Finley uh, was I saw him at a, a Brian Dixon show. Uh, he'd just come over from Ireland. And I, I was looking for wrestlers. Niko Selenkovic, who was the previous uh, promoter in Bremen, he was at the show as well, looking for new talent for Bremen or for the whole tour of the, the next season. And I watched Finley. He was 18 then. And some of the things that he did were amazing, amazing at, at such a young age. I mean, one thing, he'd, he'd get thrown off the ropes and he'd cartwheel over his opponent and cartwheel again and then go out backwards over the rope. Nobody was doing shit like that in England at that time. It was all wrestling. Uh, Dave was a, a gem. A gem, and I spoke to Selenkovic, and Selenkovic said, "I've already got him on my list. He'll be, he'll be joining us." So, Finley and I were in Germany, a year-year-long feud going, and uh, even when he was injured badly with his ankle and had to wear build-ups in his boots. He came over to Germany uh, to uh, give me my last match when I retired. And that my first wife, after the show party, uh, the, the MC said to will you give Finley a kiss after all these years of hating him? Because my wife was K-Pain. <laughs> and she actually agreed at the after show party 
and gave Finley a kiss on his cheek. I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. But she did. Yeah. But you guys, you guys kayfabed everywhere. I mean, it's one thing that all, all of Europe did, and it was it was a different time too, a little bit. But you guys, you and Finley would never, you, you would never be seen in public being friendly to each other. No, no, no. I run. Fin, Finley and I were never ever seen in public at when there was a wrestling tournament in a, a city. If if Finley came in a bar where I was drinking. He'd walk out or smack me in the mouth, whichever, whichever <laughs> was the easiest. <laughs> uh, and uh, that that was how we how we worked. The cafe was tremendous. It was a blessing for us at the time. And for those that don't understand, what? in Hanover, Wednesday is the, is the day that you, you don't draw anybody. It's just, you know, kind of the, just the, the season pass holders. You know, you have Domintag on the weekends. You have championship nights, several things outside yeah. the tournament weekends. But Wednesday was always the, the tough night. We just, you didn't draw many people. Uh, you know, you're resting seven nights a week. You and Finley had a cage match there one time and turned away right. five, turned away hundreds of people, right? The, the they turned 500, the, the, the arena held, I think, just 2,000 people. And it was on a Wednesday night, day after Damantag, day before Herentag, quietest night of the week. And they sold it out and turned 500 people away. That's true. And we beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> I believe it. No, we, we did. There was no... Oh, don't don't stiff me. We wanted to stiff each other because we wanted to make it look real as possible. That's Your how run it was. Finley was one of the is one of the greatest runs I think in, in wrestling history. You know, to do that repeatedly year after year in the same towns where you wrestled every single night in the same town. You would wrestle if we're in Hanover for eight weeks. You would wrestle Finley all throughout the tournament. And you drew every single time you did it. And that was done year after year after year. It's just exactly it's one of the yeah, most yeah. incredible runs ever. Says a lot about both you guys. Yeah, uh, it just clicked between us. We both of us weren't afraid of getting hurt. Both of us were prepared to accept being hit stiffly to make it real. Both of us were prepared not to mix with each other out of the ring in bars or and we we lived that life and i i love being with finley i still miss him but that that was the thing that had to be done for the business to keep the people coming at that time but today it's not possible as, as finley's going on in his career you said he came over about Approximately when he was 18. Did you see that magic in Finley right away? Did you did you think he's here to say, or did you think he's one of these guys that's gonna be here for a while and go to the States or go to Africa or go to Japan and just disappear? Was it was his was the roots at home in, 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 in England or in the UK? I, I saw that immediately in in Dave Finley. I saw that immediately. <clears throat> and uh, a bonus to that is that he could do it in the ring as well. 
they, they all they all asked about who was the best uh, of of my era. Finley was without doubt wow. the best. That's a hell of a compliment because you're, you're at the top of that list for most people. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you a story of uh, Big uh, Van Bader and uh, who was the guy with the tattoos on his head all over bam, his bam. body? Big heavyweight. Uh, bam Bam Bigelow. Was it Bam Bam? Yes, Bam Bam Bigelow, Vader, and Finley were on the same trip, Japan, and something happened. They, they ended up having to take a hotel at the airport, not in the Kiel Plaza. They had early flights out. For, they, they didn't want to bring wrestlers in two convoys, so they took them out to the airport and put them in a hotel. And they were having a drink at the bar, and uh, some, something happened. And uh, Bam Bam Vader uh, <coughs> said something to Finley that was a bit near the mark. And Finley said, If you say that again, I'm going to beat the fucking shit out of you. <laughs> Vader laughed, and Bam Bam said, "I don't know what you're laughing at. He's he means it, and he'll do it." To which Vader left the party and went to bed. <laughs> fin Finley was scared of nobody, and that that's what I liked about him. Oh, also, he he has and he still has no fear. By the way, no, you. no, he doesn't. <laughs> he still has no. But Finley has turned into a practical joker. Did was there a side of that when you first met him? Was he was he did he play a lot of practical jokes on guys over there? Uh, no, no, man, no, not much. No, no, he left he left that to me. <laughs> he left that to you. Did you play any on Finley then? <laughs> We, we had a, a time where, where Finley and I were in the uh, the, the tent in uh, Hamburg, uh, Hanover, where we wrestled. The, it was in a tent. And when wrestlers had a, a bad match, Finley and I were on the board of control <laughs> to find wrestlers a case of beer if they had a bad match. So this is old like wrestlers' court. John used to be the judge and prosecutor at our wrestlers' court. So this is a similar similar deal. <laughs> so at one time, I think we had thirteen cases of beer <laughs> in the dressing room. What, so, one of them was mine. <laughs> <laughs> I did, and I just yeah. I brought it voluntarily. I was out there with I don't forget who it was, and I said. I'll bring a case of beer tomorrow. I just told the boys. I took, I took the edge off right away. I said, I will bring you guys a case of beer tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we were always up to stuff like that, but seen out and about, never. We avoided each other like the plague. You know, Tony, people don't know, you know, for those that weren't in part of that territory, how great it was. 
you know, we, we were in those caravans. Uh, we, we were sitting there every night. We socialized. We didn't have to travel. You know, in Vienna, we lived in the, in the campground. We had a pool there. It was nice and warm for the summer. You drove into work. In Hanover, Bremen, you lived right outside the arena. I mean, it was just, it was really a good life. It was just, it was very enjoyable to, to be over there with the guys. The guys were wonderful guys, but the whole thing about it was, it had to be one of the greatest territories ever. Yes, I think so. I think so. Talking about the, the caravans and things like that. What yeah. was the, the, the Australian that we had? Franz uh, Schumann? No, no, Aus Australian. Oh, Australian. Oh, um, Austrian, Australian. Australian. Uh, God, what was his name? He, he, he rented a, a caravan and put it outside the, the hall. Little did he know that I was every morning tearing up pieces of bread and throwing them on the roof of his caravan. <laughs> so all, all the bird, birds flew over and started landing on his caravan and pick, picking up the, the pieces of bread. Well, he, he was going mad. Why do these pigeons keep coming to my caravan and not to yours and not to, to anybody else's? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, th I, I think I finally told him. But, uh, but he had to buy a case of beer regardless, so it was okay. <laughs> when we were in uh, Bremen, Jerry, uh, Kane, Big Glenn Jacobs came over, and he was in a caravan, and he didn't have it anchored down well. We had this huge storm <laughs> one night. And the, it turned his caravan exactly 180 degrees. So when he got up and walked out the door, he's facing a different way. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> the, the, the best thing I can remember with, with the caravans was, uh, remember Klaus Kauro? Yes. Oh, very well. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he yeah. was uh, my, well, my manager over there when I'd come out to yeah. born in the well, USA. Well, he, he had a friend that played in the, a band, a midget uh, person that sold programs in, in the hall at night. And he got out, he was an alcoholic, the, the, the client, the, the small person was alcoholic. <laughs> and I, I am sat in my caravan with Mick McMichael. And all of a sudden, very faintly, I heard, help, uh, help, uh, help me, help me. I said, Mick, Mick, did you hear that? No, I didn't hear it. Help, uh, help. Uh. So we, we come out and what has happened, they, they put uh, a fence, wire fence round the caravans to stop the, the fans getting to them. And the Felix, the midget, Felix had come back from a pub, couldn't find the way in, so he tried to climb over the wire fence. Got to the top, slipped and hung by his trouser leg. <laughs> Who made his trouser leg at the top of the fence, <laughs> saying, 
help me, help me. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so much, I went back in. <laughs> you went back in, you didn't help him? <laughs> says to me, my, my, you never guess what happened. What? So I told him, he says, well, are you going to get back? Are you going to help him? So I said, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So I had to go back, back in and get, get his pants and put him down. And oh, God, the, the time we had yeah. living the life in caravans was a wonderful life, yeah. as long as you weren't a foreigner. <laughs> Tell us that, that, that rather than uh, him volunteer, JBL volunteering to buy a case of beer, what I know, I know John, and I know he screwed up over there a few times. So could you recall any of the time that, that the, you had to really call him on the carpet and say, John, this is not right? And don't don't give me that he was a gentleman because I know him too well. <laughs> there were so many offenders from, from bringing a, a case of beer in. I can't remember what, what it was for. Usually there were just things that entered Finley's head when he was having a, a slow moment and needed to, <laughs> to uh, take a joke out of somebody. So well, thank goodness. Them. Thank goodness. When, when I first got there, I didn't know anybody, you know, everybody else had been on television somewhere and I was the only one that no, I didn't know anybody. And so I had my caravan, I put it and I got right next to Mick McMichael, whose wife was back in England for the first time they've been separated since they've been married. So he was out every night having, having a, a beverage. And so Mick would tell me that when I would screw up stuff, he'd go, uh, kid. And he did <laughs> over the course of Vienna in five to six weeks, I got smartened up to almost everything just because of proximity to, to Mick McMichael and, and Drew McDonald. Yeah. Drew, Drew was there also. Oh, Drew. Yeah. 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 Vienna was a, a great place as well. Vienna oh, was wonderful. Really Loved it there, yeah. the hot plots. And when we used to have uh, Mondays off, I think Monday or Sunday off, and Monday, I think it was one Monday of off. days, one Monday off. Yeah. And if it rained on Sunday, you only got half wages when it rains, but then you had two days free. So I used to drive to Hungary over the border and booking a hotel and have the time of my life drinking all sorts of drinks and eating great. And everybody was at the caravan site saying, oh God, two days free. How are we gonna live with all that, without all that money? And I, me and Finley and Danny Collins were partying in uh, Hungary. It, I tell you the name of the town, Tony, it was so prone hungry. That's right. So far hungry, right. right across the border. Yeah, yeah. Everything right was right across the border. Everything yeah, yeah. was cheap. It was unbelievable. I, I used to go there to buy petrol, of course, or diesel <laughs> right. was cheaper. And eating in a restaurant was fantastic and cheap as you couldn't imagine. Yeah, yeah. Saffron. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Happy times. Happy times. Tony, before we go, I, I, I want to ask you one thing. I, I didn't get a chance to ask you when we first started. Uh, Manchester United, I didn't know this until I started looking up a stuff on you. You were part of the Manchester United Junior Program. Uh, how, yeah. how, how close were you to becoming part of the, the great Manchester United? Now, I know um, you were part of, I mean, as far as, as, far as the main team. Yeah, I, I was uh, 16, 70 year, year old. I was 
taken as a, a amateur. My, I'll tell you the story. Uh, my youth club trainer was on good, com good connections to Man United juniors. They phoned him and asked if, if he had a goalkeeper for the coming Saturday for the B team, which is the fourth team. And my trainer said, no, I've got a good goalkeeper, but he's too good for the fourth team. If you play him in the third team, we'll release him. And that's what they did. The, the, I, I was a goalkeeper, so the, they were so happy with me that they invited me to go training with them next week with prospect of becoming a permanent place. But they didn't want to offer me a professional contract. It was better for them and me for, for me to go as an amateur and get the daily expenses, which came to more than what the, the young youngsters on apprenticeship received. So it was better for me not to be professional, but it put me down the list of the other players. You know, players, it's, oh, I'm, I'm a professional, you're an amateur. But uh, I, I played the first couple of games, I played for the, the A team. Then one Monday morning, the trainer came down, he said, we've got a youth team match tonight. You're not scheduled for it. Jimmy Rimmer, who went on to play for England, Arsenal, he was the top goal, goalkeeper as juniors. said, so, but we've also got a cup game uh, against Everton in Everton, Goodison Park, tonight. And Harry Gren, Greg, the second-team goalkeeper, has been injured in training. So you're down for going to that. So my second appearance for Manchester United was in the second-team. And uh, I went to uh, Switzerland with them for a youth uh, tournament, which we won in extra time, played three games in one day, only 30 minutes each way, and uh, we won 2-1 against Juventus in the final. And everybody said, when you, when you come back, Matt Busby was there, when you come back, you're definitely going to be taken on as a pro. And of course, it didn't happen. I was back to where I was, uh, the amateur number three. And I, ju I just gave up. So that was the end of my football career. <laughs> but I, 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 I went last week uh, after the Liverpool-Everton game. I had friends over from Germany. So I, I took them to Manchester, to Manchester United Stadium as well. 
to see how it is now and, and it brought brought back memories and uh, yeah it just wasn't to be I wasn't meant to be a, a footballer and thank god I wasn't right yeah you uh, I'll second that thank god because <laughs> our business would have missed a hell of a hell of a man not only a great great competitor in, in the ring but a hell of a man outside the ring so Tony, what a what a great thrill it's been for me to finally finally get to see you face to face and get to talk to you and share share a few conversations with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jerry. It's a pleasure to have met you. And uh, just for John, I've got to say, John, where are you? I, I'm in Texas right now, helping my mother. I live. No, in no, no. Next next year is the. 60th anniversary of wrestling Schutzenplatz Hanover. And I've been asked by the promoter that running a weekend with a day when former stars of the old era will be in attendance and they've asked me to invite you. So I'm now either. I've invited you to if you try and get out, I'm nope. going to come and look nope. for you. <laughs> I, try, I, was try, I tried so hard to come to your um, uh, retirement, and I couldn't because of WWE. Yes, I know. I mean, I tried I and tried and tried, and I, and I, I so regret I didn't. I, Tony, I will be there. And I might even bring Mr. Briscoe with me. <laughs> Do it with pleasure. Do it with pleasure. Tony, um, thank you so yeah. much. I, I have so looked forward to seeing you again. I, I remember when uh, – Signed with WWE, and I was able to stop by your house and visit with you and your family. You, you meant so much to me my whole career, and it's such it's me, wonderful, wonderful to, to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you as well.